I have a good subject, but the Lord permitting me, tomorrow night I'm going to speak on the devil. Oh, split hoop. There's some things about the devil I'll tell you that probably you've never heard before. One of the first things is he's not an angel, never was an angel, never will be an angel. Uh-oh. Second place is he's never been in hell yet and he hadn't been cast out of heaven yet. We'll tell you some things about the devil tomorrow night. When we deal on Babylonian religion, we're going to deal with the devil and Babylonian religion. It's going to open your heart. It'll open your eyes to what the how Satan works, how demons work. But tonight I've got a subject that I feel is very, very important, and it, the text is found in the twelfth chapter of the book of Corinthians. And to another, the working of miracles. These gifts of the Spirit are recognized as being given by Jesus Christ to his body, the church. In the first verse of this chapter, he said, Now concerning spiritual gifts, I would that ye be not ignorant. You know you were Gentiles, carried away into dumb idols, even as ye were led. No man says Jesus is accursed by the Spirit of Christ. Neither can any man say Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. The language here gives us an insight to some of the conditions of the people at Corinth. Corinth was a seagoing town, population of probably 400,000 in the day of the Apostle. And in this very metropolis, they had various temples, temples to the Grecian gods. And in these temples they had idols. And before these idols, many and many a Grecian came in there to worship and paid homage to those idols. In the, letter, in the tenth chapter of this Corinthian letter, you will find that the apostle relates to the fact that they were not to eat the food that was offered to those idols, if they told you that it was offered for, to the idols, don't eat it for conscience sake. And then in the 11th chapter, he shows you that our communion is not the communion of devils, but our communion is in the blood of Christ, in the blood of Christ and in his bread. Read that in the 11th chapter. Now he starts this 12th chapter off with a statement, now concerning spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts in the minds of the Grecians was where the God that those idols represented when they paid homage to those idols and to those heathen gods, the God that that idol represented would manifest itself to that idol and through that idol give that, that worshiper a supernatural power to do supernatural acts. And the Grecians accepted that. These supernatural, the gift of these supernatural acts was called the Greek word agapa, where you get the word love, the unmerited favor of the gods. May I inform you that when the language here is used, he said you were carried away into these dumb idols. In some of those heathen temples, they had as many as a thousand prostitutes that prostituted their body to serve and to worship that those, uh, those idols and the heathen gods. Now, <laughs> Paul said you went, they went from one temple to another temple, paying homage to different gods. But I, Paul, called the attention to the fact that those were dumb idols. They didn't have the power to speak. They didn't have a god to speak to them. And they didn't have a God that could speak through them. But the church is not a dumb idol. The church can have, has God to speak to them, and the church has God to speak through them. Hallelujah. Blessed be His precious name. Now, in the beautiful language here, He says that no man said Jesus is a curse. You can't say just a man. You can't say just a prophet or a great teacher. 
The Muslim religion claims he's just a prophet. Jehovah's Witness claims he's a prophet. You can't say that by the Spirit of Christ. Like the Jehovah's Witness woman standing on the corner with a little satchel in her hand and I walked up and I said, are you a Jehovah's Witness? She said, yes. I said, you're not. She said, I am. I said, you're not. She said, I am. I said, you're not. I said, you can't be. She said, why, am I, why do you say I can't be a Jehovah's Witness? Because you don't believe Jesus is Jehovah. She said, well, I, Jesus is not Jehovah. I said, not only do you claim to be a, a, a Jehovah's Witness and you're not one, but you're also ignorant. She said, I resent you calling me ignorant. I said, resent it if you want to. You're still ignorant. I said, take your Bible out and open it up and read. You'll open your Bible at Jeremiah 23. You'll find these words. Behold, the day cometh, saith the Lord God. I will raise up in the David a righteous branch. A king shall reign. Glory shall be his reign. Judah shall dwell safely. Israel shall be delivered. This is the name wherewith he shall be called. <coughs> your King James Version said, The Lord our righteous. How does it read in your version? She took her Bible and opened it up and read and says, it says, Jehovah. I said, that's right. She said, I never noticed that. I said, that's right. If you ever do really notice it, you'll find out that the righteous branch that came out of David was the long lineage of the family tree from Abraham down to the Virgin Mary. Come on. The longest family tree in the pages of history. If you ignore your Bible, you ignore the, in, the greatest history of a people that the world has ever had. To the skeptic, what are you going to do with the Jew? He's the greatest miracle of the Old Testament. Come on. To the mocker, what's he going to do with the family to son, father to son genealogy, the longest genealogy on the on planet Earth? You cannot, the Italians cannot find their history. Uh, uh, father to son genealogy of more than two or three hundred years. The Greek, that could be said of the Greeks. That could be said of the Germans. That could be said of the Dutch. That could be said of the Anglo-Saxons. That could be said, my brother, of the Chinese and Japanese. But the Hebrew nation had a father to son genealogy for twenty three hundred years. Come on. Righteous brainchild of David. And the language of the Bible here said, his name should be called Jehovah. I said, if you ever believe that Jesus Christ is Jehovah, you will fall on your face and tell God you're a miserable sinner and that, Jesus, that God loved you enough to take on human flesh and come and bleed and down a cross and, 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 and you'll trust his death and the love of God will fill your heart. You'll walk down the street to this town, the hat that Jehovah's Witness in town. Hallelujah! I want you to catch it now. The language of the Bible said, you, neither can any man say Jesus is what? The Lord! But by the Holy Ghost. You cannot say, you can say, I believe he's the Lord without the Spirit. But you cannot say with a certainty that he's the Lord until the Spirit comes. The Spirit comes to your heart to make you bear witness to the fact that Christ is Lord! Somebody said, I believe I can be a Christian. I was a Christian, but I, 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 was, I didn't make the Lord, uh, I didn't make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life till many years later. You were never saved until you made Him Lord. God will not take a second place in your life. Come on. The language is clear. You've got, you've got to declare Him Lord. Because if you cannot believe in the resurrection of Christ, you cannot believe that he was raised from the grave. You cannot believe that and not believe his Lord. If he conquered death, and he conquered death and conquered the grave, he has to be Lord. No human could do that. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, because he's Lord, he's exalted in God's right hand in power and authority. And it is from the throne of the Father that Jesus Christ, my brother, gives these gifts to his body, the church. I want you to catch that. The church never existed until Christ died. 
Come on. He purchased the church with his own blood. Acts 20, verse 28. He reconciled both into one body with the cross. Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 14. I want to inform you that he bought, purchased us into the body of Christ. The Bible said you're bought with a price. Ephesians, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6 and 17. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit with your gods. Every person that's saved is a member of the body of Christ, and they are a member of that body through the death of the Son of God. Hallelujah. Blessed be His precious name forever. Uh, this, this I want you to note for a simple reason. Before the death of Christ, Gentiles had no promises. The Jewish nation had the promises. Before the death of Christ, the Jew had the law. Before the death of Christ, my brother, they struggled. Before the death of Christ, they had a little faith. Before the death of Christ, they had little works. And before the death of Christ, my brother, they had a, a little assurance. And before the death of Christ, the Holy Spirit was not always present. And before the death of Christ, my brother, the Gentiles had nothing. And after the death of Christ, they have all things. You understand that the cross divides between law and grace. You've got the greatest truth that the Bible presents. And if you miss that, you missed it. Miss the entire purpose of the grace of God in this age and hour. If you want to live under the old covenant, my brother, you live a struggling and trying and with a goal out there to reach with an object to do and be what you ought to be. Always struggling and always trying to achieve what you ought to achieve. God didn't never intended that. You want to struggle, get, live, live before the death of a Savior. You want to quit struggling, go to Calvary. Man struggles with what he does until he gets saved. <laughs> he struggles to live right till he gets saved. You say, I'm trying to do my best, then you need to be born again. Come on. I want to tell it to you right and straight. After you get saved, you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and you quit struggling with what you are. <laughs> if you think you don't struggle with what you are, you wake up after you get saved. If you get saved, my brother, you start struggling with what you are. And the last thing to struggle with is the world around about you. And you quit struggling with that when you find out who controls it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's raised from the grave. He's alive. And from the throne of the Father, He gives the Spirit. And from the throne of the Father, He gives the gifts of the Spirit. And from the throne of the Father, He gives the gifted man uh, uh, into His body, the church. All things that Jesus does today, He does from a position, exalt, uh, uh, from a position of being exalted at God's right hand. How many people believe that? We're living in an age and hour where they think that the church is uh, the body of Christ, all right, but they think the head has nothing to do with the body. Come on. No, the way they act, it, all, it almost convinced me. Come on. When you believe that the head is alive at the right hand of the Father with all power and all authority, all things are controlled by Him in time and eternity. Every saved man on planet earth is under his control. You'll believe it victorious living. You'll not only believe it, you'll live it. Come on. I haven't got any problem with a man living right as a saved man. Somebody said, well, I, I believe you ought to witness. <laughs> teach people to witness. Teach people to witness. I wouldn't waste the time of day to teach you to witness. You ever led by the Spirit of God, you want to tell the world about Jesus. And if you don't, if, if you don't, my brother, tell a well about Jesus Christ, you're not saved. Come on. I speak in tongues. I don't care whether you speak in tongues or have an interpretation of tongues. If you do not tell a world around about you that Jesus Christ bled and died at a testimony in the, in the shop, in the store, in the marketplace, and a furniture store, or the drug store, or, or wherever you are in the market, wherever you are in life, if you don't witness the concerning Christ, you haven't got anything. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. 
Now, now Jesus built the church from the throne of the Father after he died and after he rose, was raised from the dead and exalted in God's right hand. And the church never existed until after Christ died. Come on. It is from the throne of the Father He gives these gifts. These gifts of the Spirit. Come on. I want that clear in your minds and heart first. Somebody said they're over with. <laughs> Who think you're kidding? You just want to say Jesus Christ is dead. He's not at the right, He dropped dead at the right hand of the Father. You just well to put him in a tomb, not raised and not exalted, not exalted in God's right hand. I want to inform you since it was done after you went back to the right in the Father, and since these gifts are in the church, the church, my brother, doesn't exist then if they're at the cease to exist. Now the Bible said they're working of miracles. You say, preacher, we don't never see miracles. You don't see because you're blind. Mineral mine. <laughs> Somebody said, "Well, I've never, I've never been around where any miracles happen. <laughs> You've never been to a church where that anybody got saved." Come on, miracles, my brother, are twofold. One is the blessing miracle, the miracles of blessing, the forgiveness of sins, the blinded eyes that are open, lame that are walk. The deaf ear that hears, the dumb that speaks, the cancer patient that gets out of the bed and walks, hear me, and is completely whole, the sick body that's restored. These five miracles of blessing, my brother, occur all around this age and are we living in. Much of the church likes to think of that. They want to think of the blessings of miracles, but they never want to think the other side of the picture. There's also the blessing, uh, there's also the miracles of judgment. These miracles of a blessing has followed my ministry, and I have known it time and time again, as well as the miracles of, of, of divine wrath and judgment. Our generation, my brother, is almost like the generation of Malachi. Where Malachi cried out and said, Where is the God of judgment? The modern pulpits don't preach on hell anymore and don't preach against sin anymore. No wonder the youth of our country, my brother, commits suicide in a teenage kid. Uh, teenage suicides are on the increase. No wonder, my brother, our generation think nothing of dying. No wonder, my brother, the death of a man doesn't affect any, uh, the public anymore, hardly. Public life. No wonder, my brother, the criminals of this kind. No wonder, my brother, that uh, they made life cheap because they haven't put any value to it. I call your attention to the fact, the fact, fact is that whether they believe in, they say we're too modern to believe in hell. I want to let you know if they run airplanes up and down the street on uh, helicopters and every uh, building in the city of Glasgow, there'll be fire in hell. And the judgment of God will be there. Say, I don't believe in it. Well, die. And you'll be convinced. You don't have to believe in hell and go there. All you got to do is die without Christ. Die without the forgiveness of sins. Pope, it's a sound, uh, quite about sin and quite about hell and quite about judgment. And the fear of God is not before the eyes of the wicked in our generation. No men are, being, men are not being warned of the coming wrath of God Almighty. You don't believe in, if you don't believe in the judgment of God, you need to examine your Bible. I'm sure that Noah wasn't going to, standing on the deck singing, uh, standing on the deck of the ship singing, something good's going to happen to you. The Andalusian world, my brother, had the flood. That wasn't my brother. That wasn't God shaking hands with them. They had the, a miracle of judgment. When God, my brother, set Moses down to Pharaoh's household and brought the plagues upon Pharaoh and his household, that was miracles of judgment. When Moses stood at the waters of the Red Sea and said, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, the Egyptians you see this day, you'll see no more. It was miracles of judgment. Come on. 
And Lord David, my brother, went out and killed the Amalekites and the Hittite nations. It was miracles of judgment. When Samson, my brother, took uh, uh, took uh, the fox, uh, 400 fox tails and tied them together and loosened them in the field of the Philistines, that was on fire and burned their wheat fields up. There was miracles of judgment. When God slew 185,000 uh, 185, Syrians in one night, it was miracles of judgment. When old Daniel stood before Belshazzar and said the Egyptian just, he said, Thou art waiting in the balance and found warning, and that night was Belshazzar slain. It was a miracle of judgment. Read in the New Testament, old James, uh, the Herod reached out and slew James. God reached out and slew Herod. Miracle to judgment. And when you find my brother Peter standing before Ananias the Piper, they had taken Ananias' body out. And Peter turned to the Piper and said, Behold the man! Behold the man that have taken your husband's body out ready to take you out. She fell down and gave up the ghost. And, and the men took her out and buried her beside her husband. Read it in your Bible. We don't believe in that kind of thing today. We're full, we're full gospel. Tell us about the man at the golden gate where Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I be in the name of Christ. Rise and walk! But don't tell us about Ananias of power where Peter said they'd drop dead and they dropped dead. Come on. We're living in that kind of generation that don't want to believe in divine judgment. But if you don't want to believe in judgment, what are you going to do with Christ coming? He's coming, my brother, in flaming fire, taking vengeance upon them that know not God and who obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Read it. He's coming back, my, and the Bible says that, and the kings and chief captains and, and rich men, both bond and free, uh, hid themselves the dens and mountains and pride rocks and mountains fall on us and hide in the face of him that sit upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is coming, who shall be able to stand? The Bible said, These ten horns which I sort the ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, these shall receive powers, kings, one hour of the beast. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. Read it. Read Thessalonians 2.11, Whom the Lord will consume with the spirit of his mouth and destroy at the brightness of his coming. Yeah, the crowd that talks about blessing all the time will tell you the devil's a destroyer, but they don't want to tell you the Lord's a destroyer. But he's coming back to destroy the wicked according to the language of the Bible. I want to get it clear to your minds and take it that the Bible said, I charge you for the Lord Jesus who will judge the quick and the dead at his coming in kingdom. Christ is coming in wrath. Miracles of wrath. Miracles of judgment. All my life I've had both of these kind of miracles follow my ministry in life. I'll start in on the closest place I can think of, Bowling Green, Kentucky. Some of you may even know this episode. You may never know all the details, but you may know something about it. I, After living in this city some 40 years ago, I moved to Bowling Green. One morning, my brother, I had a song leader by the name of Brother Carter, Roy E. Carter, Goodwill Carter family. Roy Carter, my brother, was we were going to Hazard, Kentucky, coming right across the 80 highway here to Glasgow, right over there that morning. We started on our way, just as I drove out on the old 31W highway, coming up to the cross where the road, where the 80 highway, my brother parked there. Right in the park of that road was a man by the name of Floyd. Floyd ran a whiskey store. I walked, the Spirit of God told me to go in that place, and tell Floyd you're going to die today. You're going to die. You're not going to live another day. You better give God your heart. This is the last day you'll live on earth. I told Floyd just those things. When I got out, when I got my brother out of left Floyd's place, I left him crying and weeping because I said he's lost, he's lost, he's lost. Brother Carter's daughter, Lucille, turned to me and said, How? Why is Brother Lindsay crying so much? Brother Carter says he says he's lost. 
He's lost forever. He's going to die today. New Seal turned and said, probably he won't die today. Brother Carter said, you know better than that. You know what happened in Lexington, Tennessee, don't you? Down there when the chief of police come down there to stop us from preaching at the cold of the service and they just closed the service out. The police walked up into me and said, uh, you're, uh, you're not going to preach here next Saturday. I picked my, I picked that PA system on and I said, your pat, your chief of police tells me that I'll not preach here next Saturday. But hear me what I've got to say to you. And there's almost 2,000 people listening to me preach. The courtyard was jammed full. I said, hear me what I've got to say here. I want you to know it. I'll be here next Saturday, but your chief of police will not be here. He's going to die, and he's going to die today. He pulls the servant of God the last day of existence. Woman, my brother, and the next Saturday when you tried to get him to town, we could hardly get him to the city of Lexington, Tennessee. We could hardly get him that city. A woman was running the cafe there. around this town of the merchants and businessmen. They know that. They know me what I used to be. But said last Saturday, chief police came in our place, came in our place of business and said, how does that preacher know? How does that preacher know I'm going to die today? Said, give me a cup of coffee. Said, I served him the coffee and looked him in the face and said, uh, what if you did die? Would you go to hell? Said, yes, but he don't know whether I'm going to die today. He don't know whether I'm going to die today. Said that she, after drink the coffee, walked down the door and said, I, I'll see you later. Said, at that, well, how does that preacher, a preacher not, don't know that I'm going to die today. That preacher don't know I'm going to die today. That preacher don't know. Five bullets ripped his hide. A drunken black man shot him dead. Said, Lucille, you know that. She said, that's right, he did, didn't he? We came across to Glasgow, Kentucky, and went right across to Somerset on the hazard. The next morning, Brother Carter called his wife at Bowling Green back. By the way, Lucille Carter still living over there, and, and Carter, Brother Carter's passed on to eternity. He died. When I got, got over there, got over to Hazard the next morning, as I have it was, he called his wife on the phone and said to her, How's everything there fine? Anything unusual happened? Said, Yes. You remember the man that runs the liquor at whiskey store and beer garden at just on the highway, 31W, and, and, and the 80 highway at six mile, five or six miles north of the city here? Yeah. Said a, a man escaped out of the middle ward at Hopkinville, Kentucky, hitchhiked over there, walked in that place and shot him dead. Come on. I'm not getting no out of you. I'm not telling you a story that you can't verify. Come on. I go up here to London, Kentucky, and the head of the full gospel businessmen in London, Kentucky is Ken Smith. He was going to introduce me. He's also the mayor of the city of London, Kentucky. He's going to introduce me. As, 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 he said that my parents used to tell me of a red-headed preacher called a red-headed prophet that came to town to quote almost the entire Bible. He'd look over an audience of people and say, and suddenly, right out of the middle of that audience, he'd say, pick this, uh, someone out. And the Spirit of the Lord had come on him and said, You're going to die. You rejected the Christ that I served. And you're going to die. You're going to die now. And the man would drop dead. People would give their heart to God. He said, I, I listened. I, I never thought I'd be introducing that man, but I am tonight. When he started to introduce me, a man jumped to his feet and said, Wait a second. Before you introduce him, let me tell this about him. Between Somerset, Kentucky, and Lawn, Kentucky, there is a high, there is a river. At that river bridge, along that river bridge, as you turn to the left, you go up the hill and incline there. At, along the side of the bridge, there is a grocery store run by Mrs. Pulliam. 
Come on. There's this podium that right above that bridge was a log church. And the remains of that log church is still there. Said I, last I heard of it. I went, I went up there and uh, I said that preacher was preaching that sermon, the first sermon on Sunday night there. And while he was preaching, suddenly men of the pulliam stood to their feet and said, We won't have that in this church. Get out! And said, uh, The preacher I asked her, told her, You're out of order, madam. Will you please sit down? She refused to do so. My next door neighbor stood to his feet and told that preacher, You heard what she said. Get out of this church. The preacher just simply folded his Bible and said, Sir, since you put the Word of God from you, and madam, since you put the Word of God from you, you're both under the judgment of God. I was going to conduct this revival this week. I won't be here this week. In the revival here this week, neither will you be here. For just as sure as I'm God's servant, madam, you will die this week. And sir, you will die this week. I closed my Bible, took my Bible, walked down on the edge of the highway, and they begged me to preach, and I wouldn't do so. That man that said, get out of the church, fell off a cold truck and broke his neck the next day. Tuesday, that woman, had a, her leg began to swell because of an injury she had, and they had to amputate her leg. On Friday, she died. And on her deathbed, she confessed her sin and came to Christ. Her son is set beside me now. And her son got saved on his mother's deathbed. Come on. When God saved me in Birmingham, Alabama, the pastor of the Inslee Baptist Church by the name of Miller, but came to my home and told my mother I'd get in serious trouble if I didn't quit preaching to high school students. He never entered the pulpit another day of his life. He laid a paralytic, my brother, uh, a paralytic until the day he died. Couldn't move an arm, couldn't move a leg, and couldn't say anything till the day he died. Didn't know where Pennsylvania. I was riding my car coming south out of the, out of the, out of, uh, out of, uh, out of, uh, 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 Pittsburgh. Thirty-five miles south of Pittsburgh is this town, little town of Denor. I went in and got a bite to eat. And as I, as I got, a, got a bite to eat, the Lord tore, impressed me to go in front of a liquor store and preach there. I did. They put rest in me and put me in jail. They didn't put me in the inner cell. And I looked out the window. And I saw down below me the big uh, vacant lot and the main street, about a half a block away. And I said, and this elevation, they could hear me all over town. And I said, I, I grabbed out to the uh, grabbed out to a jail bar, and with a jail bar in one hand and the Bible in the other, I, I preached. Uh, Seek ye the Lord, call him to the found, call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto Jehovah part and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I preached about the pardoning grace of God. When I closed that message, I didn't get to close the message until a man jerked me out of that window and put me in the inner cell. He stopped me preaching, but he didn't stop me from shouting. That afternoon, a dear saint of God came in there, and she asked me, A young man, are you under the blood? That's all she had to say, brother. Heaven came down and... I got to crying and shouting. She got to shouting. They took her out. And I was hoping they'd take me out too. But they didn't. That night they sentenced me for 11 days. I had been cussed by, cussed out by the arresting officer. I had been cussed out by the jailer. I had been cussed out by the chief of police. I had been cussed out by the mayor. I had been, I had been bawled out by the city judge. 12 o'clock midnight. After sentencing me, put me back in jail at 12 o'clock midnight. They came up there, the jailer came up there and said, We want you out of this town. You get your clothes and you leave and don't come back. I said, This town's under the judgment of God for what they treated God's servant. And I don't want to be in your town, sir. The judgment of God's against this city. I got in my car and drove and drove down and got a room in a motel in another town. The next morning, my brother, the Pittsburgh paper read of a smog that came through the North Pennsylvania and killed 23 people. If you deny this, go up there, brother, and get your Pittsburgh paper and then explain to the scientific world what kind, what 
kind of, what was what kind of smog killed twenty three people? And why did it kill the chief of police, the mayor of the town, the city judge? Come on. Go ahead. You don't believe in miracles? Listen, uh, go and trace that down. Go and get the record and you'll see that I was in jail that, that very night before that smog hit that city. Come on. The hand of God's been on his servant. Blessed be his name forever. Blessed be his precious name. I was in, I was in Middlesburg, Kentucky. A woman stood up in the service and said, uh, said, uh, false prophet, false prophet, false prophet. I said, madam, will you please sit down? You're out of order. She refused to do so. And the young pastor said, brother Lindsay, we can't have that. I said, young man, you're young in the ministry. Keep out of it. Don't lay your hand to this matter. Cause if you do, you'll get under the judgment of God Almighty. I'm closing the meeting out tonight. That was the second night of the, no, the first night of the meeting. Said the first night of the meeting, I said, I'm closing the meeting out tonight. And I'll be not beholding the revival. I want this woman tonight here to know that she'll tell this audience that she was wrong, that I was a servant of God. She'll either do that or she'll be dead and in hell for the weeks out. Because she's going to die. I walked out of that church, called a brother Trent up in uh, up in Hamilton, Ohio. He said, "Brother Lindsay, we'd love to have you." They had me in a revival meeting there the coming week. I was on Thursday. I received a telephone call saying, "Come back." The woman dropped dead this morning. I want to let you know the hand of God been on me, and I could take you across this country. To a, a thousand places almost where that, uh, things like that have occurred. Asheville, North Carolina, one night when I was holding a big tent meeting, the Spirit of God came home and I said, Sir, you are going to die tonight! And Sir, uh, sir, sir, you are going to die tonight! You are going to die! I pointed to all three men. They weren't even sitting together. One of them had to turn around and point to him. They all three died that night. I went to Johnson City, Tennessee. I was at Knob Hill, the poor section of the town, put a PA system up there to speak. I was preaching and some drunk down there was making light of it, ridiculing and making gestures like I was trying, trying, trying to copy me. And the Spirit of God came on me and God said, tell it. I said, sir, you gentlemen will laugh at that drunk now because he's mocking me. But tonight, before this night's over with, for this days and nights are with, you will find God. Because this man's going to die without Christ, and he's going to die today. That night in the tent revival, all four of those men that listened to him and watched the addicts of this drunk give their heart to God. Because that man died in less than an hour after I'd said that. I, the next day I went down, my brother uh, Clint Long run the cafe right across from the uh, right next to the theater across from the first Presbyterian church there on Main Street. He lived on Hamilton Street, the one street over. We went by his house, and coming by his house, I said to Clint Long, going back toward the cafe, I said, anybody ever preach on that corner there? He said, no. I said, pull up. We're going to get permission to use the PA system. I'm going to turn, connect that PA system, and I'm going to preach in that lady's yard if she allow me. And she allowed me. And I preached there. And I was preaching, and while I was preaching, the man across the street was making light of me and ridiculing me and cussing me out for everything he thought of. And the Spirit of God came on me, and I said, there's men sitting on the porch over there laughing and cussing at the servant of God. But hear me! For this day is over with him. He's still blaspheming God. He'll die blaspheming God. He'll be blaspheming God a million years from now. He's going to die today. I closed that message out, got in the car, went down to the cafe and got a bite to eat. That afternoon, after we, after we stayed around the cafe for a while, me and Brother Long went by his house. And as we drove up to Hamilton Street, here were several cars parked along the sides of the street. People were getting out of the cars and a crowd on the front porch of that place. And, and I heard the man, when they got out of the car, right behind his, 
He said, they're bringing her out now. I said, what's going on there? And he said, some woman went crazy. Her husband died. She came out. They brought her out. And I could hear her screaming, saying, He told him! He told him! He told him! He told him! They put her away at Lion's View. Mental ward. Her husband blasphemed God and died blaspheming God. I want to inform you right now. The reporter in that paper and newspaper, we had a campaign in that town, and we had seen hundreds and hundreds of people finding God. The newspaper took a, a, a opposition against that campaign, and they determined to criticize it and find fault with us. Wrote an article on the front page of the paper, talking about a five-a-night preacher telling you things going to happen and they never happen, and the things that I said didn't happen then are getting ready to happen now. They're not even happened yet. Hey, come. Now, stop right just long enough to tell you what, what it's all about. And you're going to find this is going to happen in the next few years. United States is going to develop my brother's station in outer space. Cable are controlling my brother the world. And cable are controlling my brother every nation on earth. And they are going to be able to issue, send my brother missiles from that station so that nobody can make war, and this will be used with the Antichrist himself. I said that in 19. That was in the 30s. Nobody ever went to the moon or stars or sun. Come on. Newspaper ridiculed that, ridiculed that story. And said, if I'm a night preacher, come get your money and leave town. The Spirit of God came on me. The editor, the uh, reporter came down there that night and said to me, tell me, Hey, well, what do you think of the article? I said, wait till I have prayer. And after having prayers, I got in the pulpit. I felt the presence of Christ. I said, there sits on the second seat here a reporter for the newspaper. He won't know what I thought about the article written in your daily, in your paper today. I have this to say to you, young man. Your newspaper, you're going to lose your job in less than six months because your paper is going to go in bankruptcy. And the reporter, the editor of your paper, He's going to get so confused, he's going to blow his brains out and go to hell. Put that in your paper. They did. And showed my brother that they could, show their financial report that they could conduct business for six years without a dime revenue. Ridiculed me for everything they thought of. When I closed that tent meeting out, they ridiculed me from A to Z. Said the so-called prophet's got your money and gone now. Four months later, I received a long-distance telephone call saying, Come back! Come back! Hubert, come back! Brother Lindsay, do it! Come back! The editor blew his brains out this morning. The paper's going in bankruptcy. Come on. What had happened? He, the editor began to run around with his young secretary and his wife found it out and tied all the finances of the paper up and sued him for divorce, and he wrote his brains out. Come on. I start to inform you one thing. I felt the hand of God on my life. Blessed be his precious name forever. I was in Wheat, I was in Tupelo, Mississippi, and the Spirit of God came upon me with mighty power and anointing that night, and God told me to take my tent out of this town, and you tell the people what's going to happen. I stood up and I said, I preach to you tonight, but where I'm preaching at t tomorrow will be a disaster because a tornado is going to sweep through the north end of this town and it's going to wipe this whole north end of the town clean. And if you live in the north end of this town, you've got to find a hiding place. Elvis Presley was three years old at that time. His grandmother held him in his arms and prayed for his protection when the roof came over the top of, of his house and everybody in that city block was dead. Except the Presleys. Come on. And I walked down the streets of Memphis, Tennessee. Elvis Presley, my brother, hollered uh, at me and said, Hey, preacher! I went over there and got uh, to get in his car and the girls liked to knock me down. He said, Come out to the house. I went out to the house, sat there and talked to him about the Lord. He told me about uh, how he had confidence in his mother and grandmother and how he had confidence in Dr. Hammond's. And he said, you also, preacher. I said, why, why me? I can understand Dr. Hammonds and, 
and, and your mother and, uh, and your grandmother. Why me? He said, because my grandmother helped me in your arms when I was a baby and, and prayed for me that for my safety. Uh, when a tornado hit the city of Tupelo, Mississippi in 1937, it was the biggest tornado that ever hit the state of Mississippi in its history as far as they know of. Come on. 305 people were dead, a thousand homes destroyed. Last time I was in Tupelo, Mississippi, I was preaching in the First Assembly of God Church there. Pastor of the church didn't know me, but Ronnie Quayne with me. And they pushed a woman into the church, in the vestibule of the church, in a wheelchair. And the pastor, the one that pushed this woman in the wheelchair into the church, uh, said to uh, the woman that pushed her in the wheelchair into the church, uh, introduced her to the pastor. The pastor returned, introduced her to me. And the Spirit of God allowed me to put it on my heart to say it. And I said, Madam, they, put, they pushed you into this church but they're not going to push you out of this church because you're going to push that wheelchair out of this church. God's going to heal you tonight. Hallelujah. He did. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I, I, I felt it. about that time the door opened and in walked a man and he said, You're the man! You're the man! You're the man! And the preacher wanted to know why, what he meant by I'm the man. He said the, he's the man that told us the tornado is going to hit the town the next day. Took his tent out of the town. And the tornado hit the town and over 300, 400 people were killed and a thousand homes destroyed. Come on. I could go on for hours. The next ten hours telling you of episodes like that. I was in the sea. I was in, in Berkeley, California. That afternoon I stood uh, uh, preaching there that afternoon and there's a girl, my brother, in a wheelchair pushed right in the front of the place. Some man came up there. He had a full gospel background. He said, you believe the, uh, if you've got faith, Hubert, you can heal this girl in the wheelchair. The Bible said these signs shall follow them to believe. you got faith. You can heal her. She can get out of that wheelchair and walk. I don't think you've got faith. I said, I don't think you'll ever have. I said, young man, you, you wouldn't believe in Jesus Christ if, if she got out of the wheelchair. Sex and sensuality got you sold up, wrapped up for hell. You are packaged for hell because you want to run around with every prostitute and every silly woman around this place and only a silly woman to run around with you. And I said your lustful heart is damning you and sending you to hell. The Bible tells me, young man, to flee you for lust that, that round the souls of men. That drowning is like sinking in, teeth, uh, in quicksand. You're going down, brother. you godless lust is sinking you right into hell. He said, if she comes out of the wheelchair, I'll believe it. I said, she's coming out of the wheelchair. But you won't believe you're a lying devil. I said, I don't have to lay a hand on her. I don't have to put all on her head. I don't have to do it, touch her at all. Young lady, just get out of that chair. You've healed. You're healed. Come on, get out. She got up and walked. Man, he... he I said... Give your heart to God now, sinner. You said you would. You're a liar. He started running. And I said, you're a liar. You're a liar. You're a liar. Be right after him. Come on. I said that for the simple reason. The same Spirit of God that came on me. And I felt in His presence when I said to that woman, you're healed. Get out of that chair. The same presence of the Spirit of God was on me two days later where a man had blasphemed the name of Christ every day for a week. And I said, you filthy blasphemer, you blasphemed the day of my Christ, the last day of your existence, you're going to die, and you're going to die now. He dropped dead at my feet. Police, uh, black brother, come over there and give him mouth-to-mouth respiration, try to restore him. Police walked over and looked down at the black man and said, is he gone? The black brother is named Barry, wonderful Christian man. And he, very, is he gone? Is he dead? said, yes, he's gone. Police walked over and said, how did you know he's going to die? I said, I'm God's man, God's servant. God sent me to this campus and God told me he's going to die. And God told me that he's going to die. Tell him that he's going to die. I did. He's dead. He took his badge off, resigned the police department. He's pastored a church in Riverside, California right now. Come on. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, you say to me, 
You say to me, why would God show you those miracles of judgment? I answer back. Because that sometimes can lead men to Christ when nothing else will. It will affect them and disturb them. You bring a person that's crippled in this place and they, he gets up and walks out of that wheelchair. <laughs> people, people that know him might be amazed with him. Ask the person that's not acquainted with him. You know what they say? Well, he'll have been healed anyhow. Come on. If he's a blind man and receives sight, his eyes are going to come open anyhow. If he's deaf and could want to see hearing, they said his ears would be unstopped anyhow. If a dumb person and speak, they said he ain't uh, going to uh, receive his voice anyhow. If he's a cancer patient and was dying in the medical world, give up on him. They said well, he, he, he's going to recover anyhow. But hear me when a miracle of judgment happens, and a man drops dead. They can't say he didn't live. And they can't argue that he's not dead. Come on. And the Spirit of God gets hold to people like that, and they turn to God right and left. I had the, one of the greatest revivals ever had in this part of the country happen in the state of Kentucky. The Spirit of... I was in this... In this I had... A little small tent. By the way, I got that tent right here for Bowling Green, right here from Glasgow. Little tent, and it had, and I put it up in a big hole. Uh, uh, the wind ripped it apart, and I had a, the first night of that meeting. I put it up with a four. I sewed it up because I felt I want to be in the meeting right away. And the first night I I preached in that tent with a uh, tent with about twelve or fifteen people on. I'll pray the Father, and He'll send you another comforter that he may abide you forever. The second night I preached on, I'll pray the Father, he'll send you another comforter that he may abide you forever. The third night I preached on, I'll pray the Father, he'll send you another comforter, he may abide you forever. The fourth night I preached on, I'll pray the Father, he'll send you another comforter that he may abide you forever. About five or six days I had to take that little small tent off of the lot. The lot on the city at 5,000. I put a tent up seating 12,500 in another another big lot. It was packed and jammed every night. Six weeks later, I was preaching on, I'll pray the Father, and He'll send you another comforter that He may abide you forever. And the Spirit of God led me that night, particular night, to close, uh, change that subject and preach on the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Who hath bleed, I'll report unto whom hath the arms of the Lord been revealed. 